This podcast is intended solely for educational purposes and presents information of a general nature. It is not intended to guide or determine any specific individual situation and persons should consult qualified professionals before taking specific action. The views expressed in this podcast are those of the speakers and not those of Milliman. Hello and welcome to Critical Point, brought to you by Milliman. I'm Rebecca Driscoll, and I'll be your host today. In this episode of Critical Point, we're going to be talking about the top five trends in supplemental benefit products going into 2022, and also how the changing nature of the workplace and what's happening around us is actually impacting the idea of what a supplemental benefit is. Joining me today is Kristen Kredich, a strategy consultant for Milliman in Tampa, who focuses exclusively on this market. Kristen, hi, and thank you for joining the podcast. Good morning, Rebecca. Thank you so much for having me today. Yeah, thanks for joining. Um, Before we dive into the five top trends for 2022, I was hoping you could just talk a little bit about your focus in supplemental benefits. Is supplemental bennies, like do people actually shorten it and say that? Is that... um, I love it. And I fully support that nickname. I'm a big uh, word shortener whenever possible. So let's go with that. It's kind of a mouthful I keep tripping on. So, but in any case, I was hoping that you could talk a little bit about your focus in uh, supplemental benefits and how you've seen the market and maybe more specifically the workplace change over the past, you know, decade or so. Yes. And before we get into that, I'd just like to define supplemental benefits for our listeners. So when we say supplemental benefits, we are talking about insurance outside of your medical plan, coverage like critical illness, accident, hospital indemnity, even short-term disability and life insurance are part of this um, mix of benefits. And when we talk about change in this marketplace, things have changed pretty significantly over the last, what are we on? 22 months of the pandemic, I think. Um, So I have been working in the supplemental Benny's space for about 15 years. And even though that sounds like a really long time, there has absolutely never been a dull moment uh, over this decade and a half as far as this market goes. So going back, you know, a little more than a decade ago, starting with ACA and the shift uh, from traditional worksite specialist brokers who were really the primary drivers of this market, Um, We saw a shift happen uh, with now the bigger ABC houses start to pay attention to these kind of benefits. They used to be sort of off their radar. And with the shift and change um, in the regulations with ACA, uh, these types of benefits really needed to uh, come to the forefront and be a little bit more of a cohesive offering to employers. So what happened uh, when that took place is what we in the industry call the groupification of these benefits. Um, Historically, a voluntary or supplemental benefit was an individual product that was owned by the policyholder, completely portable, uh, regardless of where they went to work or when where they changed employers. And um, that really changed when these brokers got involved. So distribution really drove how they wanted the benefits to be sold and administered. And that followed more the traditional group product mindset, which features things like limited or in most cases, no underwriting, no health questions very flexible rates and benefits, a focus on technology, specifically benefit administration platforms and HRIS systems. So that began what we're still very much in now, which is a technology companies driving a lot of how these products function. And instead of seeing 
carriers um, asking these systems to configure you know themselves to their product carriers are kind of taking another approach designing products around the existing systems today so that they have an easier time uh, getting to market and, and selling these at the employer level so it's it's really a wild time <laughs> uh, on the carrier side and I spent 12 years there myself um, in account management and then five years in product development so I, I've seen all areas of this business working with kind of all the stakeholders. Um, but as we emerge from the pandemic, and I'm being really optimistic here that we're going to emerge <laughs> and uh, learn from what we're seeing in the great resignation or what I've also heard called the great reshuffle, which I think I like a little bit more, carriers uh, really need to start taking an introspective look at what employees and employers value and start to shift their product design and features to accommodate the next generation of the workforce. So that's really been uh, the focus on where these trends we're going to talk about is today. Yeah, I mean, I feel like we're sort of seeing that with from a talent retention point of view and also just, uh, you know, caring for the workforce point of view. It seems like there's there's um, a lot of interest from employers to, to do something different or, or make a mark. Does that feel accurate? Absolutely. I, I think that employers, without question, have to look at their workforce and say, what am I going to be able to provide to my employees that makes them want to stay besides just happiness in their job? How, how can I expand that? Um, how can I make sure they're you know paid well, uh, that their benefits package is comprehensive? And now does that look like what it used to look like? What types of benefits are going to start mattering or currently mattering to employees that really weren't on the radar as strongly, you know, two or three years ago? Great. So I'm excited. You're going to share some um, of the what you're predicting as the top five trends in supplemental benefits products. Um, I do want to just sort of pause and say that we are not really going to get too much into the product design in this episode, right? Well, we can, we're actually going to try to do a series and we'll do a follow-up episode with uh, more specifics on product, product design, but that for this one, we're sort of talk, talking through what those top five trends are. Does that sound yes. right? Yes. And I think those could be um, some really interesting episodes as we talk about, you know, different components of how we can design products around these topics. But yeah, for now, we'll, we'll keep a high level. Okay, great. So uh, let's just get started. What what tops the list? Oh, well, this is not going to surprise you or probably any of our listeners at all, but it's been a focus on mental and behavioral health and wellness. Um, so as we, I think, can all agree, especially over the last uh, two years plus, there's been a real shift in how we talk and think about mental health. Um, and, and we can thank people like Simone Biles and Naomi Osaka, just a couple names in, in the sports arena who have been, you know, really outspoken about um, how mental health has impacted their performance, making tough decisions like choosing to, you know, um, not participate in, in the specific Olympic events because of, you know, how uh, Simone's mental health was impacting her at that time. I think that was such a powerful thing, um, not only for the world, you know, the global stage she was on, but in my in my mind, I think that's really important for um, up and coming generations in the workforce to hear and see leaders like that, um, you know, be honest and authentic about how mental health impacts them and looking at it not just as, well, I'm struggling with my mental health, so now I'm in that category and, and I'm there forever, but instead looking at it as a continuum. And I think that as we start to shift our perspective, um, you know, around how mental health can, you know, impact folks at different times and not just be 
a diagnosis of a mental illness, but that our own mental health, you know, continues to shift and evolve similarly to our physical health. Like we could have a cold or the flu and be down for the count for a bit, but it doesn't mean that we're not going to bounce back. So I think thinking about that category of health in a new way is going to be something that really needs to impact employers and how they look at benefits. So um, we've seen, you know, traditionally from a wellness perspective, there's certainly, I'll, I'll say probably a decade or more um, that we've seen wellness plans. So, you know, you you get, in fact, we have something similar here at, at uh, Milliman where we've got, you know, your biometric screenings and you might have a step challenge, you know, to make sure you get your 10,000 steps and um, a focus really on physical health. And, and that's been great. But what we're starting to see now is a little bit of a recoil from that perspective. So if we think about employers putting in these wellness programs, could they shift some of that to broaden it from a mental or behavioral health standpoint instead? So I think we're going to start seeing, um, and we already have seen employers engage with companies like Ginger, um, who recently merged with Headspace, which is a meditation app. So I think meditation has become a really big thing over over the last couple of years. Um, But there's a lot of similar companies like Ginger who are offering comprehensive mental health support through a PEPM model at the employer level. Um, and these types of resources, I think, are going to be, you know, start at the top of the list for potential hires when they're looking at, you know, how do I choose what where I want to work? What do they offer me from a mental health perspective? Yeah, I mean, I am actually in the middle of a 28-day meditation challenge. So uh, I, I feel like everybody I talk to right now is doing is doing some kind of focus or is trying to put some focus on mental health, especially, you know, given the past 22 months or so. Um, and I, you know, I'm the, I'm the daughter of a psychologist and feel pretty strongly that mental health treatment can do a lot of good. Um, have you been seeing any demand from carriers for this kind of product yet, or do you think it's still kind of bubbling to the the surface? We've definitely seen some, and by the way, congratulations on your 28 days uh, of meditation. It's very fun. good. Actually, it doesn't take a lot of extra time and it can really make an impact on your day and your stress levels. It's, it's kind of amazing. Um, but yeah, specific to voluntary benefits. Um, I would say, you know, from, from what I've seen in the market and I, I even experienced this on the, you know, when I was a product developer at a, at a carrier over the last call it three to five years, we've seen an increase in carriers who are adding provisions or changing definitions. Sometimes it can be as simple as just changing definition within um, a contract that will allow those benefits to be paid out um, inclusive of mental health conditions. So that can also uh, typically include substance use disorder. And we'll see it, you know, traditionally within products like hospital indemnity, which makes sense. You know, if you go to the hospital, you want to make sure that you're covered for not only physical illnesses, but also anything that might be impacting your mental health. But even in in products like accident, where, you know, somebody has a severe accident, PTSD is a real thing that could be associated with that trauma. And so introducing, you know, some coverage in that area um, is is one new creative way to look at it. Um, But we've also seen movement even more recently in the critical illness category um, to add specific mental illnesses. And for example, uh, a couple of these have been severe depressive disorder or obsessive compulsive disorder which those products for those uh, not super familiar with supplemental benefits, those typically cover things like cancer, heart attack, stroke, ALS, Alzheimer's, uh, multiple sclerosis. So you, you think about those critical illness categories, introducing, you know, three to five mental illnesses to be added to that list is a real shift. And I think a really important change um, in how we view those products. So 
to me, this is a really important time as an industry. I think we're at the start of a new path where we can begin to imagine new products and benefits in this realm. And, and for me personally, one of my dreams would be to help a carrier bring a standalone mental health supplemental product to market. I, I really think that's what's needed. And that could really bring meaningful change to that category of health. I think you should get on that. I'm oh. totally supportive. <laughs> Let's do it. Um, so I wanted to move on to, to the number two trend uh, as we're, as we, we've talked about mental health. What, what would you say is number two in terms of emerging trends and supplemental benefits? Well, this one is very attached to the mental health umbrella. Um, it combines two of the critical concerns that are facing the working generations now, which is mental health and stress. And what we've all probably heard in recent years, something called the silver tsunami. So in eight years or by 2030, all baby boomers are going to be at least 65 years old. And with the boomers being such a large generation, uh, life expectancy continuing to increase, and the lack of long-term care insurance resources or even guidance in today's world, what we're seeing is the emergence of the informal caregiver. And some of you listening to the podcast might be, you know, raising your hand right now saying, that is me. Um, and, and if you are, kudos, because I think what we find is many of the informal caregivers don't even realize that they're caregivers or they wouldn't put themselves in that category if they were asked. Um, this is an area of health that's very personal to me. As I spent many years caring for my husband uh, through two cancer diagnoses, he's a two-time colon cancer survivor. Uh, he will be 14 years cancer-free in March, by the way. Kristen, so happy to hear that. That's wonderful. And uh, shortly after that, four years I spent as co-guardian for my father who suffered from dementia. So when I was going through both of those separate scenarios, it wasn't until I was really in the thick of it that I realized, oh my gosh, I'm a caregiver. <laughs> I'm an actual caregiver. I don't know that I would have categorized myself in that way. But when you're in the thick of it, well, you start to feel the impact that that stress has on you, um, both personally and professionally. Um, but even though, as I said, my husband is cancer-free, he's still hospitalized every so often due to complications from all his past surgeries. And that actually happened just a couple weeks ago over New Year's Eve. So the caregiver badge gets dusted off every so often for me still. So when we're talking about caregiving, um, is this, this, this is beyond sort of your typical parenting, caregiving, parenting duties. Is that right? Right. So what we're talking about here, and, and I certainly don't want to, you know, downplay parenting duties, especially over the last couple of years, we know parents have been uh, squeezed and, and stressed, no question. Um, but this is really moving into that category where whether it's a child, a parent, a spouse, a sibling, and, and even in some cases, a lot of the, the companies that we're seeing emerge in this area are willing to provide this service, even if you're caring for your neighbor or your friend, you know, so it doesn't even have to be an immediate family member, because you think about the number of Americans who, who fit into this caregiving category, it's estimated that there are about 53 million of us providing unpaid care for relatives or friends. So not only can this be a huge strain financially, but going back to our discussion on mental health, you think about the cumulative effects of stress and burnout. Those are just beginning to be understood right now as it relates to caregiving. So from an employer's perspective, they may not even know the people who are on their teams that are caring for loved ones, but they can probably see it in things like absenteeism and presenteeism. And cumulatively, that impact of, on stress, you know, of, or of stress on their work and, and their demeanor, um, we really got to do better as a society um, in, in recognizing needs and providing support. And I think that's something that's top of mind for employers right now. 
So we are seeing companies whose specific mission it is to provide caregiver support um, to to those uh, folks in that situation through um, either an employer relationship or something related uh, administered through their health plan. So what I would love to see happen in the supplemental benefit space is either, you know, some carriers start to, um, you know, plug in their solution with a caregiving company like this, or think about how they might be able to provide caregiver type benefits within the products that we sell today. Um, so that that I think is a really important uh, theme to focus on for product development this year. Great. So these first two trends have really focused on supporting employees with their current family and mental health situations. But the next supplemental benefit trend is more forward-looking with a focus on family planning. Is that right? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So um, that, that's a great segue, Rebecca. <laughs> I tried. <laughs> I tried. No, it's excellent. Um, so for, for this one, um, and this is this is really cool. It's it's again something totally new that was shouldn't have necessarily been off the radar, but I think has. And I'm excited about the movement that we're seeing in this category, and that is around um, fertility and family planning benefits. So you might be familiar if you're listening uh, with companies like Carrot or Progeny. Um, these are companies who provide fertility benefits or in some cases a, a type of insurance that's offered by employers to their employees who may be struggling with infertility or perhaps they're planning a family through surrogacy or IVF. Uh, many of which have not traditionally been covered under health insurance. So it really hasn't gotten a lot of attention uh, historically in the employer space. And I think we're seeing movement on the healthcare side, you know, to provide more benefits there. So looking at the supplemental side, um, we've seen carriers who are actually starting to include fertility benefits in their products, which is super cool. Um, you can have something like an indemnity benefit or maybe a lump sum payout for a trigger that's based on either infertility itself or services related to family planning. And it's, to me, not outside the realm of what these products are intended to do at their core, which is provide a financial cushion for health needs that fall outside of your high deductible plan, your PPOs, your HMOs. We all know that today's deductibles are certainly not what they were 10 years ago. And we also, I think, all know the stat that most Americans don't have 500 in savings for an unexpected medical bill. So when you put those two things together, uh, a product like this just makes sense. And all we're doing is introducing a new category uh, to allow you to claim some of those benefits. Got it. And have you have you started to see any interest uh, for this one or or is it more of a an emerging topic of conversation? Yeah, I, I would definitely put it in the nascent stage. Um, we We have seen in the supplemental benefit space, a couple of carriers look at this category of health um, for inclusion in their benefits. So to me, you know, two, one or two or three carriers looking at this is, is the start, is kind of a rumble. And then we kind of see how that builds from there. But on the employer side, certainly I think we're seeing, you know, demand for, um, for coverage in this area. And I don't know that it's specific to, you know, a, a certain industry, a certain geography. I think this can apply all, all across the board. So um, this is something that is also kind of an optimistic thing to talk about too. You know, it is hard um, to talk about struggling with, you know, uh, building your family. And if, if women, you know, who are listening have struggled with infertility, I mean, that is one of the most devastating things you can go through. And so to be able to have a finance, not only a financial cushion, but maybe access to new resources, it just kind of changes the conversation. Yeah. It sounds like sort of in many of these products, one of the 
goals is sort of to reduce these barriers for for things that are maybe can be unattainable to employees, um, whether it's fertility planning or caregiving or mental health or mental barriers and financial barriers, I suppose it would be. You're a hundred percent right. I mean, that, that in, you know, the, the birth of these products was really to, to do exactly that was to say, can we remove the financial barrier that would prevent somebody from being able to either pay for the treatment that they need or pursue a different type of treatment that's not covered by health insurance. So whether that's experimental treatment in maybe the cancer world or something like this, you know, that's not, not traditionally provided in the same way. So, yep, totally spot on. All right. Uh, number four on your list of trends is um, uh, a bit of a departure from from what we've been talking about and that it's not in the human realm. Uh, tell, tell me what number four is. I love that. I love the way you said it because, you know, depending on who you are, and I definitely put myself in this category, pets are kind of human adjacent, you know, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> for a lot of us, our, our fur babies are our children. Um, so, I don't think it's a surprise that number four on the list is pet insurance. Um, the pandemic saw pet adoptions just skyrocket. I, I think we all remember, um, you know, seeing the footage of the the shelters that were just emptied of their pets because people were so, so desperate for that pet affection and some companionship. We were all stuck at home and we wanted, you know, some unconditional love. <laughs> and that's, that's really kind of where that, that pet love came from. So Rebecca, do you have any pets? You know, it's funny. We, uh, my family is, in the midst of this very big debate about whether a cat or a dog is a better fit for our family. So I, I solicit opinions. I am open to being swayed in either direction. Can I ask if you have an opinion? Are you leaning one way or the other? No, it's really funny. I am leaning toward, I think a cat would be a lot easier and this would be our first family pet. Um, but I'm kind of leaning toward a dog for the like emotional to your, your earlier point that like connection and companionship and like emotional component. <laughs> do you have, you have any pets? You must. You have oh, I do. Um, yeah. And actually, I mean, you want to talk about, uh, pets being attached to you. So I have a four-year-old Vigla, which, uh, for those of you who know, they're kind of that copper colored, like cinnamon colored, uh, dog. Um, they're hunting dogs. His name is Harris. And this morning, um, he refused to get out of bed. So he has this new thing where he wants me to make the bed with him in it. So there's just a Harris size lump under my perfectly made bed. So that tells you a little bit about my level of attachment with my That's dog. Amazing. Oh, thank you. Uh, and I know that that's, I'm certainly not alone. That is how so many people feel about their fur babies. Um, so with the increase in pet ownership, and then you think about some of the generational things that are at play in the workplace. So millennials have already shifted their childbearing years to later in life. We know that to be true. That's what the statistics tell us. And at this point, it looks like Gen Z, Look, you know, it looks like they might follow the same, you know, trajectory. So without human babies to protect right away, and, you know, these generations are in the workplace, what, where does their mind go as far as insurance and coverage? So it might go to doggies, kitties, bunnies, birdies, um, and, and their health needs. So pet insurance is certainly not new, um, but as a property and casualty product, which that's the, the chassis that it's on. And I struggled with that at first because I thought, well, my pet is not my property. <laughs> They're my child. Uh, shouldn't this be an accident health product? <laughs> 
but it was typically offered on an individual basis, often either direct to the consumer, like at your vet, you might see a brochure for a company like True Panion, you know, sitting on the shelf saying, hey, you got to, you know, pay for your pet's x-ray. Do you want to get pet insurance? Which goes against every insurance, uh, you know, uh, rule we have uh, as far as buying it when you know you have the need. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but they've, they've got that set up at the vet traditionally. So um, it has been offered at the employer. But for those of you that have been, you know, in the benefits enrollment space, we've always had this joke that, well, you don't want your product all the way down at the bottom of the list after pet insurance. Because when we are all going through our annual enrollment on the, along the side, you're going to see the list of all the benefits available to you. And typically pet insurance is kind of right at the bottom. It's like the last thing. And uh, the reason that that joke resonates well is because it's just an afterthought. Like, you know, it's, oh yeah, pet insurance, do you need that? Who cares? So what we're starting to see is a shift, not only in how we think about pet insurance, but going back to what I talked about um, right in the beginning about this, um, this market moving more toward the group space. So thinking about um, these benefits offered at the group level through the employer, offering pet insurance as a group type product, which means you know limited underwriting or no underwriting, a lot of flexibility in the rates and benefits, um, some different portability options, you know, on if you keep it or not once you stop working there. So um, that gives brokers and employers a lot more flexibility than they have today. So we are, let's see, we're at number five, rounding out the list of trends. What um, what do you think is this final trend that we can expect to see in the supplemental benefits market going into 2022? Um, I wanted to round out the list with this because this has certainly been, from a, a client perspective, one of the biggest things we've gotten asked about um, as far as product design goes. And that is this idea of just blowing up the traditional categories of supplemental benefits. So, you know, we, we have accident insurance, we have hospital insurance, critical illness, disability. And instead of kind of keeping them narrowly focused in each of those categories, we shift the focus to diagnosis codes or ICD-10 codes. Um, and then you, you kind of compile a list of, of covered triggers that just break apart the guardrails that we've typically seen in in supplemental benefits. Some folks will refer to this as the Brella concept. Um, They were the first company to introduce this idea as its own product. Um, And they cover, I think it's 13,000 different conditions. But what's unique here is not that it covers new things necessarily. Um, In some cases it might, but the the new and different thing is the way that it's viewing the coverage from the lens of the out-of-pocket pain points that employees face. So you might look at a product like this and see it structured by severity. So if I go to the ER because I've cut my finger and I get stitches, obviously that's not a fun experience, but I'm also not walking out with like a $5,000 bill. But if I am admitted to the hospital because of maybe a cancer diagnosis or a heart condition, I'm going to spend some time there. There's going to be a lot of expensive tests that are run on me, and I'm probably looking at some ongoing treatment. So that bill coming my way is a lot different than the one uh, getting stitches at the ER. So it's looking at appropriate payouts based on kind of what your financial impact is going to be, which is exactly, to, to go back to something we said earlier, that's the whole reason these products exist. It's why they were designed in the first place. So we already know that there's a big lack of understanding. Uh, even though these products have existed for so long, there's still a lack of understanding on the consumer's part about what these products do and how they interplay. In my my product background, I've been uh, 
part of some research and focus groups where I've sat behind that mirror and listened to people describe what they think this is and give comments about how they feel about their health insurance. And it's so clear that unless somebody has faced a health crisis and had to fork over that deductible all at once, you know, that $5,000 family deductible in one fell swoop, they haven't really felt the pain when you have an actual health crisis. Um, Just recently, you know, when my husband and I were in the ER uh, on New Year's Eve, something happened to us that has never happened before in the 50 plus times we've been there. Uh, A woman wheeled in a computer while my husband had not been treated yet, not been given any pain meds, you know, we were still kind of just getting, you know, um, getting settled in the ER and waiting to be seen. Here comes somebody who asks us, how do we plan to pay for today's services? The services that had not yet been given. And my husband was in agony. And I thought, well, I'm here with him. And that's great. I can deal with this. I've got all the information. I've got our insurance card. I can handle this. But what if he came in by himself, which many, many people do. Not everybody comes in with a family member or advocate. How how can you ask the person who's suffering, how do you plan to pay for this before they've even gotten any relief? Um, I think that's a, a, a very tough situation. And it just was kind of a, a big wake-up call reminder for me about the importance of the work that we do in the supplemental benefit space. Because yes, if you need to pay, you know, for your deductible all at once. If somebody's sitting there saying, hey, here's what your hospital bill is going to look like, which apparently this is what's happening now in some hospitals, you've got to be prepared. And I'm thankful that I can pay for my deductible, but there's, that's not the case for, for a lot, a lot of people. Um, and especially the markets that, that these products are, are intended to, to help focus on is those folks who do not have, um, you know, $5,000, $10,000 sitting there waiting to pay a medical bill. So this was really, you know, I think poignant to go through and uh, kind of remind ourselves about the importance of the work that we do. Yeah. Thank you for sharing your personal story. I mean, I, I think, you know, I said earlier that you have a holistic view of the products and and the market, but but you've really experienced all sides from both, you know, practitioner and also from the personal side. So, you know, I just thank you for, for sort of being open to talking about it. And, um, you know, I, I'm curious, like, as you're approaching your work going into the future, how do you have this sort of personal and professional experience inform the future work that you do? Yeah, no, I I think that's a a very important question. And and for me, as I, I look back through the predictions we just went through, uh, you know, all the, all the trends, the theme for me is, what I hope carriers have, you know, at the top of their minds as they think about their their new portfolios or products that they want to expand into, look at our markets and our customers with fresh eyes. We have all just lived through a pandemic together and we're not quite out of it yet. Um, how can we build meaningful benefits and find new ways to cover the people we serve? You know, what needs have been illuminated for us over these last couple of years and, and what's important to employers and employees? That's why I'm in this business, and it's what makes me so passionate about helping my clients. Kristen, thank you so much for joining me. This was a great conversation and a really interesting list of trends. Um, For our listeners, if you want to learn more about supplemental benefits and trends in the market, you can visit melamin.com slash research or find more information about the work Kristen is doing on LinkedIn at Milliman Supplemental and Specialty Research. You've been listening to Critical Point. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts or share the episode with your colleagues and friends. We'll see you next time.